You're listening to the Grassroots Church Podcast. We're a Jesus-centered community in Thunder Bay, Ontario. You can learn how to participate more by going to our website at grassroots.church. Let's get on to this morning's message, shall we? Uh, so we are, we are in a new series I'm calling Renewed Rhythms. Um, and I think... I have it up there. Cultivating Spiritual Disciplines Toward Transformation in 2024. Did everyone receive a journal booklet thingy on their way in? Yes. Hold it up nice and... And a pen? Cool. Um, It was a few weeks back. It was probably mid-November. I was in what's called an author summit with a number of other Jesus Collective partners, and we were meeting over Zoom, and um, the author was Megan Good, and she wrote this book, not that one, this book called Divine Gravity, um, which she, uh, I think she released it in October of this past year. And so we've been meeting like every week as sort of the, about a dozen of us or so from across North America, all sort of Jesus Collective partners, uh, discussing the themes in the book, and then kind of providing insights and input into uh, sort of a discussion on it. And honestly, I cannot say enough positive things about this book. This book has just been, I've been reading it really slowly to just try to digest it. Um, I want to find a way to kind of integrate it into this community. If you are a keener and you want to order this on Amazon, I would not say no to that. I think that's a good idea. But I, anyway, I want to find a way that we can integrate this book into our community. But that's... Um, Kind of beside the point, Megan uh, articulates so many of sort of the, the, the pain points within the church today. And then um, she, at the same time, offers just really solid sort of Jesus-centered ways of navigating those pain points. And I think uh, it, it's a really an excellent book. Um, she's, very, she's very actually humorous. She uses a lot of humor. Anyway, so we were um, discussing the pain point of there being a notable lack of transformation in the church these days. In her book, she, um, she calls this a critical problem, and she says that lots of Christians are jerks. And, I mean, not in this church, but like <laughs> other churches out there, there's just a lot of jerks. And she says, we all know these people. These are people who write, read their Bible every day. They, you know, they attend church weekly. Um, every Christmas, they're the ones who are arguing about the true meaning of Christmas. Um, but they're also notorious for being stingy with their employees. And they are dismissive of their uh, neighbor's struggles. And they are vicious with their kids' teachers at school. Um, She observes that it's almost as if Christianity has made these people worse. Um, And the problem is that from a statistics standpoint, Christians don't look any different than non-Christians. We drive the same cars. We watch the same amount of TV. We consume the same amount of fossil fuels and alcohol. Um, We have the same average marriage success rate. Uh, we give the same amounts to charity, Um, you name it. And so this caused Megan to write this. She said, none of this will likely surprise you if you've spent much time around the church. Um, But from the outside, it might feel like a bit of a disconnect. Here you have the grand story of a loving God waging cosmic battle to overcome evil and rescue the world for good and told by people who look and live pretty much like everybody else except slightly judgier. And honestly, you got to read this book. I'm not doing it justice. But the idea is that for a people who confess to believing in a God who is in the business of transforming 
you know, the brokenness of our world into a restored creation, starting with you and, and me, there's a notable lack of transformation. And so our group that afternoon, we were wrestling with this pain point. And one of the things that came up was this idea that for so many of us, we spend 30 minutes a week sitting in a pew or in a chair, passively listening to a sermon, 40 if you're from grassroots. But most of us spend, you know, a little bit of a week listening to a sermon, and pastors and church leaders sort of just assume that this will be sufficient to counter, you know, like the the 10,000 other messages that are bombarding us the rest of the week. But I don't mean to disappoint you, but a weekly sermon, no matter how good it is, it won't fix us. I know. (laughs) I heard that audible groan. If transformation is the end goal, if we're wanting to become more in step with the way of Jesus, which is to say, to use Jesus' own words, if we are to um, love God and love our neighbor better, he said that was the greatest commandment, then we need more than a weekly pep talk to get us there. And one of the reasons is because sermons typically aren't that memorable, even if they're memorable. Um, This is from learningguild.com. It says, research on the forgetting curve. So how quick we are to forget information that we hear shows that in one hour, people will have forgotten an average of 50% of the information presented. Within 24 hours, they've forgotten an average of 70%. And within a week, forgetting claims an average of 90% of the information you received. How many of you, raise your hand, feel like that's pretty accurate, if not a little bit generous? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm the same. Um, we need, to, we need to address this more intentionally, I think. Um, but this is, yeah, this is, I read this this week, and I was like, oh, that's a little bit discouraging. I put a lot of work into my sermons each week. <laughs> and I'm no different than anyone else. I forget about 97% of what I receive. Um, and so, anyway, it's a bit discouraging. Humans just aren't that great at remembering things. And the other issue is that even if we do remember the content we've heard, we have a hard time taking what's been taught and moving it from our heads to our hearts, to the the seat of our being, right? Which is where I think transformation takes place. And so really we've got two problems. The one is we can't remember what we're learning in the first place. And the second is we don't know how to transfer that new knowledge that we do gain into our hearts, into how we actually live it out. And I think this might be at sort of the heart of this lack of transformation in the church. Now, just nod your head in agreement with me, but for generations of church now, there has been tons of energy um, and time and resources poured into ensuring that we are knowledgeable, knowledgeable about the Bible, knowledgeable about the proper, you know, theological doctrines and positions that we need to hold. And we spend this time week after week in churches, and yet, what kind of emphasis have we placed on ensuring that this knowledge leads to a change of heart, a transformed life? There, to be sure, has been some, for sure, but clearly not enough by the looks of it. Which is why, uh, at Grassroots Church, I want us to keep this reality, this 
tendency, this, um, this challenge even, always at the front of our minds. That, and it's why we are actively encouraging um, home group participation, volunteering in various capacities, whether it's within this community, whether it's in the larger community. Uh, it, it's why we want to encourage faith friendships, friendships that are centered around Jesus. Um, and so much more life-based faith because it's in the context of real life that knowledge can move from our heads to our hearts. Amen? It's, the, it's putting that sort of rubber to the road and just being like, yeah, this is... This is why, what all this knowledge I've gained over the years of church, this is what it looks like in practice. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus. Um, and, and I think when we do that, and I think our community is a testament to this, and it's not to brag about us, but I think we produce significantly less Christian jerks that way. Um, and I think there's a lot of beautiful people in this room and in our community uh, who um, are a testament to that. And so this leads me to what we're going to be talking about this morning, and over the next 10 weeks, um, spiritual disciplines or practices or habits or rhythms, um, basically any of those terms work. Uh, they all sort of describe the same thing, which is, and this is a, a definition that um, a pastor in the States name is Samir Masad, um, he says this, and he's talking about just a discipline. He's saying, this is what a discipline is. Strip the word spiritual from it for a second. This is what a discipline is. A discipline is any activity I can do, so anything you can do, that will enable you, or enable me, to eventually do what I cannot currently do. A discipline is any activity I can do that will enable me to eventually do what I cannot currently do. Do you want to run a marathon? Well, you're not going to get up tomorrow morning and run 26.2 miles unless you're Scott Weeb. <laughs> but even Scott Weeb had to start, and he will attest, running very little at the beginning. Right? You get up, and day after day, and week after week, you add a little bit more, and you build stamina and you build the endurance and the strength so that one day you can get up and run 26.2 miles. But it doesn't happen overnight. And the discipline is the, is the decision to get up every morning and run a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. Do the training that needs to take place to get you so that you can eventually accomplish what you currently cannot do. And so anything you can't do currently can become a thing that you can do eventually through a practice or a discipline. And spiritual disciplines work in the same way. We currently are not able to be the kinds of people that Jesus has called us to be. And so we practice these disciplines in order to become those kinds of people. That's really how simple it is. Spiritual disciplines have no other function than this. Um, John Ortberg is an author. He says this. He says, oh, I think I missed this. Do I have a quote from John Ortberg up there? I might not. So you just have to listen. It says this. The true indicator of your spiritual well-being is growth in the ability to love God and people. And if we can do this without the practice of any other particular spiritual discipline then we should by all means skip the discipline. Let me say that again because it's not visual, so let me read it one more time so you can listen. The true indicator of your spiritual well-being is growth in the ability to love God and people. 
That's the goal. The goal is to be able to love God better, to love other people better. And if you can do that without the practice of spiritual disciplines, Orbrick says you should go ahead and skip, save, save yourself some time and just start loving people and loving God better. But I don't know about you. I am not naturally inclined to love God or to love others very well on my own. In fact, my natural inclination is actually to move in the opposite direction of that. My natural inclination is to love me better. I am, if you ask the people closest to me, incredibly selfish. Or I can be. That is my natural tendency when left to my own devices without any prodding or any sort of uh, incentive to move other way, to, to go in the opposite direction. My natural direction is toward me and my needs. And so the disciplines in my life, and probably in yours too, serve as a tool to help us take that direction and push it in the other direction. To move toward others-centered. Toward becoming more in love with God and consequently more in love with other people, learning to love selflessly. So that um, leads me to what the four spiritual disciplines are not. And this is really important. If you're taking notes in your journal, we'll talk about the journal in a minute, but this is the kind of stuff you'd want to write down in the next couple of weeks. But especially today, this is really, we need to keep this stuff front of mind. A spiritual disciplines, four things that they are not. And this, again, comes from uh, Samir Masad, that pastor I quoted earlier. So number one, it is not a measure of how spiritual you are. Please, let's keep this in mind. Your ability to practice these disciplines that we're going to be discussing over the next 10 weeks is not an, an indication of how spiritual you are. And when they become... Uh, a means of impressing God or of impressing other people. Because look at me, I can get up early and read my Bibles faithfully every single day. Then we're missing the point completely and utterly. So they are not an indicator of how spiritual you are. They are also not a way to win favor with God. Uh, they, your ability to practice spiritual disciplines will not earn you more credit with God. That's not how it works. Um, God is not more inclined to serve you because you got up at 7 a.m. and, you know, got on your knees and prayed for two hours. That is not the God of the Bible. That's not the God revealed through Jesus. I was listening to, or actually I read this morning um, in my devotions. <laughs> I read this morning uh, uh, a devotion Actually, I was distracted from studying my sermon, and I was reading email. Anyway, it was a, a devotional that came in the email. It was from Nadia Boltz-Weber. And uh, I don't know if you're familiar with her. Just She's a phenomenal uh, uh, Lutheran pastor in the States who articulates things so well. And she was talking about um, this, uh, the reality that we are already beloved by God. And she used the, the story of John the Baptist baptizing Jesus in... in um, the, river, uh, the Jordan. Uh, the, the first thing, this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He comes and John baptizes him. And what do we hear God say? God says, behold, this is my beloved who I am well pleased. Now, Jesus had not done any healing of lepers. He had not proclaimed the gospel. His ministry officially hadn't started yet. 
And God is already saying, I am well pleased with him. Which I think is like true of all of us. What we do, discipline or whatever we do in life, does not alter how much God loves us. He already absolutely loves us. He can't love us anymore by how much work we do. So please keep that in mind as we go through this series. Number three, apparently they are not unnecessarily unpleasant. Apparently. Um, I, I will say just from my own experience with disciplines, uh, I'm not a very disciplined person. Many of you know this about me. But I would say uh, I go through these seasons where I'll start running, and the running is just atrocious the first, you know, the whole time, honestly. But let's just say for the sake of this analogy, it's terrible the first couple of times you go running. And this is true. It's terrible the first couple of times you go running, you get the cramps, you're like, I can't go any further, I run out of breath. But by the third or fourth or fifth time you're running and you're, you're out there, it's actually, dare I say, enjoyable. You're like, you know what? That felt pretty good. And so the disciplines, the spiritual disciplines, have that same potential to actually become enjoyable. And I think we need to give them a chance to, to see if that proves true. And then finally, and I think this one is the most important in my mind, the spiritual disciplines are not the end goal. Again, getting back to that uh, Ortberg quote above, the end goal is to look more like Jesus, to love God and to love others more. And so as we go through these, uh, these habits or these rhythms over the next few weeks, as we try to implement them into our lives, I want us to keep in mind that these are a means to an end. These are a means to an end. The end is to love God and to love others better. And as uh, Monsieur point, he, he points out that when they become the end in themselves— then our walk with Jesus becomes a to-do list of religious activities. And that produces self-righteousness, that produces judginess, and that produces more Christian jerks, which is the opposite direction of where we want to head with the spiritual, direction, uh, spiritual disciplines. So that's sort of the intro that I want to give to spiritual disciplines, lay a bit of a foundation um, as to what our expectations, a bit of the context behind them. Uh, let's just review really quickly what um, the disciplines are that we're going to be looking at specifically as a community. And then I'll spend the last 10 or so minutes um, discussing the first one, which is the Sabbath. So these are the spiritual disciplines for grassroots church. This is not an exhaustive list by any means. And you could argue, and you'd probably be right, that we missed some key ones here. That's fine. Um, these come from a journal that I adapted, which you are holding, and I've added one or two of our own that I thought would be relevant for us. But uh, today we're going to be looking at Sabbath, next Sunday. Um, and by the way, I won't be doing all of these. I'll be doing most of these, but there will be one or two or three that others in this community will be sharing as well, which is I'm, I'm actually super excited about. Next week, uh, Scott Baker is doing uh, one on prayer. Our family is going to be in Fort Francis doing a squash tournament, so I'm not going to be here, so that worked out well. Uh, and then we'll be doing scripture reading, um, fasting, which I'm totally dreading right now. I see other people nodding like, yeah, that is not going to happen. Okay, but just give it a break. All right, we'll, we'll get there. Um, submission, uh, which we don't often think of that as a spiritual discipline, but by golly, it absolutely is. Um, service, silence and solitude, another one I'm really actually looking forward to. Secret goodness, 
which is not something I typically associate with spiritual disciplines. But again, I think, man, if we could incorporate these into our lives in a more intentional way, man, what? I think that's where transformation happens. And then uh, journaling is another one, um, which you don't see in the Bible because people were not writing back then, but it's something that is over the, over, uh, the last couple thousand years has definitely uh, sprung up as a discipline within the church. And uh, if you journal, you know how valuable that has been, I'm sure. And I'd actually love to hear more from you uh, about that. Um, and then soul friendship is the last one. Soul friendship. And, and maybe that's enough of a, a, um, a clue to kind of pique your curiosity to stick with us for the entire series as we lead up to that one. And if there's maybe a strong argument to be made for another one, you know, if you think like this one here needs to really be incorporated and, you know, my experience has shown this to be so valuable, I'd love to hear from you. Feel free to come up and talk to me. This is flexible. We're a pretty small church. We have the ability to adjust as we go along. Um, so anyway, but those are, those are the 10 topics um, and like I said, you also notice this, this journal was handed out, Renewed Rhythms, I'm calling the series. Uh, and this is meant to be a tool to help us in the process of adopting these spiritual disciplines, okay? Some of us hate coming to church and doing homework. I get that. I'm one of those guys. I'd rather just sit there and consume and not um, have to be actively uh, writing things. But if we want that information that we're sharing from the front to actually stick longer than a week, um, you know, where we lose 90% of it, I think writing stuff down might actually help. I think there's a lot of research that backs that up. And, uh, and so uh, I've, I've gotten this journal. Actually, uh, one of the partners that was in the, the author summit that I talked about at the, at the beginning, um, he's a pastor in Delaware, and, and he had, had talked about, you know, when you're talking about this lack of transformation in the church, he talked about this series that they had just done on the disciplines and how they used this journal and how it just made such a difference in their community. And what it did was it brought the community together to kind of like discuss things, uh, to, to share their struggles along the way, to share their joys along the way. Uh, it was a really uh, fruitful endeavor to incorporate this. So I said, hey, do you mind if we, would you mind sharing that journal? And he was like, absolutely, feel free to use it. He said, take it exactly as it is or adjust it however you want. And so I've done that thing. I've taken uh, what he had included and I've adjusted it to make it work for our community. And just one more caveat, if you have not already caught in the vibe already, I did not want to do a series on spiritual disciplines. <laughs> and it's because I honestly suck at practicing these disciplines myself. And maybe you do too. Um, but I thought, you know, I'm a pastor. I should be reading every, my Bible every day. I should be praying every day. I should be doing all of these things regularly. And the sad reality is, I just don't. I don't. I'm embarrassingly bad at being disciplined in general, um, let alone spiritual disciplines. But yet I've decided to do this anyway. Uh, so... Why am I telling you that? Well, kind of two reasons. The first is because I want to, oh, I want to be as authentic as possible with you. Um, I don't want you to put me on a pedestal of some spirituality giant here. I am not. I am a fellow sojourner with all of us in this. I have not arrived. I'm still moving forward, little by little, still stumbling along. And I will commit to these disciplines in an effort to be an example but know that for most of them, my track record has been exceedingly poor. Um, 
And I want to give you permission to suck at these as well without feeling pressure that you need to, uh, you know, be perfect at them week after week. That's not the goal. Um, so I want us to kind of like have that sort of safe space where we can be like, yeah, we suck at these, but we're going to keep stumbling forward anyway, regardless of the setbacks and the challenges. And then the other uh, reason is because there are others who will be sharing throughout the series, and they also have expressed sort of what, what I call this imposter syndrome. Like, I should not be sharing on this particular discipline. A number of them have said that to me. And um, they feel that they are grossly inadequate to teach on this. And I want them and I want all of us to know that most of us are in the same boat, including your pastor. There's this challenge where we recognize the value of these disciplines. We can, again, make a sort of intellectual assent to that, yes, these are important. We don't need to be convinced of that. And yet there's this disconnect between our knowledge and their importance, uh, of their importance and faithfully practicing them. It's like knowing exercise is good for us, but choosing to stay in bed because it's really comfy. Or knowing that I shouldn't eat these outlaw burgers because they will clog my arteries, but yet I'm still going to eat them, which is what I did for my birthday the other day. Thank you. Um, I, I, like this is the challenge, right? This is sort of the tension that exists. We know these things are good for us to do. And so the goal of this series is for us to just like move a little bit further down the road in this way. Like just stumble along and, and to have a space where we can struggle together, but commit to moving forward regardless. All of us struggle to live consistently with what we know to be true in our heads. And these disciplines are no different. So um, they are, again, something to keep in mind. They are not a measure of your spirituality. They are not a measure of your worth. They are not a measure of how much God loves you. I think I have beaten that down into submission. Let's move on. So the last few minutes that we have, uh, I want to just talk about keeping the Sabbath, which is really of all the, it might be the easiest one, maybe. Um, and as we look at the Sabbath again, in the same way that with all these, if we look at it as this sort of have to do or something to check off a list, then um, again, we are missing the point. And um, we'll end up beating ourselves up if we can't achieve it, right? If we can't achieve holding the Sabbath. And so I think we look at the Sabbath as this gift that has been given to us. It has been an offering to us by God. And this is sort of what um, Jesus gets at in Mark. He says in Mark 2, 27, he's, he's kind of deliberating with the, the Pharisees who are accusing him and the disciples of breaking the Sabbath because they uh, took some wheat from the field, I think, and ate it. And he says the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the needs of the Sabbath. In other words, Jesus is saying, we're not following the Sabbath because this, you know, is some law that God has created that he requires us to do this in order to love us. No, we just spent the last half hour talking about how that's not the case. Instead, we follow it because God knows what's good for us. And he says, this intentional period of rest is a really important thing in your life. So what is the Sabbath? Well, um, Rich Velotis, who is a pastor in New York, he has a really good definition. And I, I came across this in my studies, and I thought, man, this, is, this captures it perfectly. This is actually what the Bible says as well, is the Sabbath. But I, I just like the way he worded this. He says, Sabbath is a literal 24-hour period, so sun up to sun up, without anxieties, 
have-tos, or shoulds, which over time results in deep rest and renewal. Now, let's be real. We live in an age where productivity is king and busyness is queen. Amen? Um, I, I mean, so many of us, including many of us in the church, if I could dare say this, we find our identity in what we do. Whether it is our jobs, whether it is our educational achievements or accomplishments, whether it is our parenting, whatever we're accomplishing in the home. Um, we do these things and then we think that that's who we are. Right? And because of this misguided thinking, doing lots and lots of stuff, whatever that stuff is, it becomes just so important to us. Becoming efficient is the goal. Becoming productive is the goal. Being busy is what matters. I'll fully concede that there is a, a tinge of pride that I feel when I talk about all the extracurricular activities that keep our family going all the week, you know, all the hockey and the squash and all the different sports and activities that our kids are and all the music. I'm like, yeah, that's what we do. And maybe you're the same way. And so there is this pride, there's this temptation to, to, to kind of coalesce toward that uh, um, understanding of our identity and being what we do. And some of us take the Sabbath and we're like, you know what? The Sabbath is a good opportunity for me to kind of like get energy, get strength, so that tomorrow I can be even more efficient, even more productive. If I just rest for a few hours today, I will have everything I need to go the rest of the week and just like soar and do everything I need to do. And I want to challenge that understanding of the Sabbath and I want to challenge that understanding of the disciplines in general because we can do that with fasting. We can do that with some of these other ones as well. We can say, oh, you know what? I'm going to do intermittent fasting. I'm going to knock off the, you know, the spiritual fix by doing this and I'm also going to live healthier. So yes, kill two birds with one stone. Let's pause on that objective. Let's not seek to attain um, or to practice these disciplines so that we can kind of kill two birds with one stone. Um, and so, and actually, this is what Villadas says. He says, the goal of the Sabbath is not to rest so I can achieve my goals more effectively or to achieve greater efficiency. The goal of the Sabbath is to resist the idol of efficiency. Oh, that's powerful. That's why we rest. Not so I can work more effectively, so my life is not captive anymore to efficiency. I think this is why Jesus gives us the Sabbath. It's a gift given to us to remind us that we are human beings, not human doings. We are human beings, not human doings. We are not defined by what we do or we accomplish or we achieve or how efficient or how busy we are. That is not the objective. That is not our identity. We are humans created in the image of God. We get to serve God. We can intentionally take time to rest when we need to recharge, reconnect with God, reconnect with one another. And the Sabbath is a reminder of this. It is about rest and restoration. That's all which is incredibly difficult for us in the 21st century. 
to practice that. We live in a world, like I said, that is inundated with being busy, that our identity is found in that. And we have to, as followers of Jesus, find ways to resist that. Amen? I think the Sabbath is a gift that allows us to do that. And I keep going to uh, Rich Villadas. I don't even know how to say his last name. I think it's Villadas. Is that right? Does anyone know? Nobody knows. All right, well, we'll just trust that. Um, And I keep going because I love what he says on this topic. He says the Sabbath boils down to two purposes, imitation and liberation. Imitation, he grabs, he says, this this is uh, going back to the Ten Commandments in Exodus 10. He says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, your male or female servants, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and he made it holy. And so, because God created everything in six days and rested on one, we should imitate this ourselves. That's basically what God is, why God is given. That's the first reason. We are to imitate God. You know, if God, if it was deemed good enough for God, it's probably good enough for us to practice this as well. To practice this rhythm of six and one, six and one, six and one. And then the other reason is skipping over to Deuteronomy 5, and it's sort of a reiteration of the Ten Commandments. And the, the Israelites now have been freed from their slavery in Egypt, and Moses gives them the Ten Commandments, again, this time for liberation's sake. It says in verse 13 of chapter 5 of Deuteronomy, Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Remember, you were slaves in Egypt, And the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, because you have this freedom, therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath. Now, this is a reminder that we are no longer slaves. And we don't typically think in terms of slavery today, but if we... You know, if we were to see slavery as being tied down or bounded or confined by some, a power, uh, some power or some kind of authority over us, then we are still experiencing slavery. And the power that enslaves you and I today is maybe it's not a boss or a teacher or some you know, position uh, in your job that's higher than you that gets to kind of call the shots. Chances are you are enslaved to yourself. You are enslaved at least to the expectations that you put on yourself by the idea that your identity is your work. That you have to accomplish in order to be validated, in order to be loved, in order to be accepted by God, by others around you. These are ideas that enslave us. And the Sabbath comes along and offers us an opportunity to resist these enslaving powers, to live into our freedom. Sabbath proclaims liberation from the mindset that we are what we do. There is freedom in that. And so like the people of Israel freed from slavery in Egypt, Sabbath is a reminder of freedom. That we are no longer enslaved to powers that made them work seven days, breaking their backs, making bricks for the Egyptians. Um, Sabbath declares, take rest. You are free from that. 
So imitation and liberation, two terms that I think as we go throughout this week, as we begin practicing this, recite those to yourselves. Reflect on that. Consider that. Now, really quick, we're going a little bit late here. 24 hours is a long period. I, I, I get that. And maybe you can't do 24 full hours yet. Um, whether it's your job, your you know, school assignments, whatever they might be that are just kind of pressing, you're like, I got to get this done. Okay, that's fine. Remember the goal of the discipline is not the discipline in itself. So don't beat yourself up over it. The Sabbath offers rest and restoration, and it serves as a reminder that we are not what we do or what we achieve, which then allows us to love God and to love our neighbor better. That's the goal here, right? If we can find the rest and the restoration, we can begin to love God better. We can begin to love others better. So 24 hours seems a bit long and potentially not doable. Sometimes you're in the middle, whatever. All these things that happen, life happens, I get it. So as we start off this ambitious series focusing on the disciplines, I think we need a quick win. Amen? Um, So my proposal is we set the bar low. Let's just watch this together. (laughs) Yes! I love that. I love this video. This is great. Um, We set the bar low. And um, let's start with what we can. If you can do 24 hours, amaz- that, that's amazing. I think that's the goal. I think we should seek to do that where possible. Absolutely. But if you can't, find two hours a week. Find three hours a week. Do something that you know historically has brought you rest and restoration. Maybe it's going out for a ski, which is stupid. But, you know, that's not for everyone. But, hey, that could be your thing. Maybe it's Netflixing. Whatever, whatever Sabbathy thing it is that you know has brought you rest and restoration, this week, I want you to practice that, and I want you to be intentional about it. Amen? I want you to try to think about some of the thoughts, the ideas that we've had. I want you to use your journal, and I want you to write in your journal about what it is you tried, how you succeeded, or how you failed in it. And don't hold back. Just be real. Nobody, nobody's going to grade these. This is for you. And just come along with us in this journey as we go through these disciplines together. Be intentional. Find ways that will move you toward more intentional rest and restoration so that you can love God and love others better. And next week, we will resume this conversation as we talk about prayer. And my hope isn't that, like, okay, well, we did Sabbath this week. Let's drop that and move on to the... No, my idea is that we will continue implementing these practices as much as possible into our lives on an ongoing basis. I think that Grassroots Church has done a rather poor job of emphasizing the disciplines over the, year. I, I, over the years. I am guilty of that. I think um, we have emphasized a lot of other really important, wonderful things, but I think there is a role that these disciplines are to play, and I think in many ways our community has missed the mark on that. And so I'd love for us to change our minds, turn our, our, our minds and our hearts into just savoring these practices, these gifts that are from God and to make them a part of our community in a more intentional way. Are you on board with that? Yeah, okay. <laughs> I'll take a little bit of convincing. But um, I'll invite the, the, uh, the band back up this morning, and we will close it by doing communion together. <clears throat> and I'm not so naive as to think that the spiritual disciplines are sort of like the magic bullet that will all of a sudden cause transformation, but they are a tool that can help us in that, right? And so that's how we want to perceive um, 
the disciplines this year. So, yeah, let's stop there. Um, the discipline that we practice in this community week after week is taking the bread and the cup and remembering our Lord, his death and his resurrection. And so we will continue to do that. Um, we will do that this morning. Uh, I think that in our pursuit of loving God more and loving others, it begins, it becomes possible through the cross as we look at that example of Christ uh, giving himself so freely. And so this morning I want us to meditate on that as we sing this last song and as we take the bread and the cup together. So um, let's pray and then I'll welcome you to the table. Father, we are grateful this morning for this community, for everyone that's come, for those who will be sharing over the next few weeks about these various disciplines. Um, we thank you for discipline. Thank you for these practices that for thousands of years have steered followers of Jesus to become um, more like Jesus, to love his Father more and to love those around us more. Thank you that they are a means to an end. And this morning, we thank you for the Sabbath, and we thank you for this intentional period that we can spend each week as a reminder that we are not what we do, that we are your children, loved by you. May that truth settle in our souls, and may it just move through us this week. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.